are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio. Only here, lastwordonsports.com. What's up, Internet? My name is Matt Pollard, and you are listening to Last Word Soccer Club Radio here on LastWordOnSports.com. It is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. Uh, We have just one match day, one group stage left to resolve in the 2023 Women's World Cup, and we are currently in between for the League's Cup uh, with the group stages all wrapped up and the round of 32 to come this weekend. Joining me now to talk about all of the soccering things happening in North America and relevant to CONCACAF, a friend who since last we podcasted, I finally met in person and have confirmed that she is not a crisis actor, Rachel Krieger. <laughs> That's great. Um, It was very, very cool to meet you. Um, It's funny that like, Yumi and Dan have known each other for what'd you say six years now and in the span of the last like eight months I met both of you so next on the list I'm I'm gonna say is probably Harvey um <laughs> pro- also because of like distance and stuff he's definitely the closest option um but yeah it was super cool to to hang out to go to Fulham match with you go check out the Fulhamish podcast um and just enjoy the uh the lesser side of the state next time we need to get you out to the better side of the state mm-hmm. i have now that i think about this rachel i believe i've been i'm not sure i've been to pittsburgh more than once and it was flying in for a project this was many this was multiple jobs ago um it was out in uh, I, I can't remember the small, I can't remember the town on the main highway that goes north, south for West Virginia, but effectively, Rachel, I was doing a, I was doing what all people from West Virginia do, which is have to fly through Pittsburgh International Airport in order to actually get anywhere. Um, I assume West Virginia has airports, maybe Morgantown or something, but so in any case, that was it. So I believe the only time that I've actually set foot in uh, in the city limits of Pittsburgh were for that as well. And I, I almost don't count the I almost don't count the if you're flying somewhere to then go immediately to the rental place and then drive as quickly as possible to get somewhere else that is just in the vicinity of that city, but not actually doing anything in that city outside of the airport and the rental car and refueling the rental car. I don't know that that really counts for me personally. So uh, Pittsburgh, will well, have to you're from now. you're from California, right? So my claim to fame of of being from California is that I was in the Sacramento airport because our flight got canceled when I was like seven or eight coming back from Vegas. And so we had to fly to San Fran to get on a flight or I'm sorry, not San Fran, Sacramento to get on a flight to Pittsburgh. Well, then that flight got canceled. So my dad was very angry um, and we stayed for one night and then immediately left. <laughs> okay, then um, let's let's get the travel talk actually done here. Uh, Rachel, so let's talk some United States women's national team, where obviously we found for the first time in I don't know however many years uh, that they only won one group stage game at the Women's World Cup. They finished surprisingly in second in that group uh, behind the Netherlands. Uh, There were a bunch of scenarios that could have happened in the final match day, but obviously the United States women's national team held uh, control over their own destiny. Had they beaten the Portuguese debutantes at the Women's World Cup and then had a better goal difference with 
um, not Panama, with the Netherlands blowing out Vietnam, then obviously they still would have won the group. Uh, and it was, again, a relatively dispirited performance. We saw this where they did a lot of good things against Vietnam, but the final product and that sharpness in the final third wasn't really there outside of Sophia Smith. That was still a 3-0 win. Uh, who cares? They'll figure it out, right? And then we get to the second game where I argue for easily the first 55 minutes of that game, they are played off the pitch by the Dutch even game overall. But given what we thought the U.S. women's national team was, given what we think the Dutch are, which is not as good as they were in 2019, the Netherlands were a bad matchup for them and did a lot of really good things to make things difficult for the United States. And gradually, I think they got a hold of the game as well. But a 1-1 draw was certainly fair. And then at that point, it came down to the final one, the final match day, uh, where they did not look particularly good against Portugal. And so for me, I think the real disappointment, Rachel, and where I think some of the criticism, as we'll get to in a moment, when it comes to Vlad Grandinovsky or this group of players or the way that they're being set up, is I would have expected the improved second half performance against the Dutch women to then be carried over into an emphatic performance, an emphatic result on the scoreline, and then certainly some goals from the players that we've seen lacking so far in this tournament against Portugal. And we saw uh, long stretches where they look disjointed, where things didn't look like they were in the same place tactically. Uh, there's not as much service. Uh, there's not enough service getting to one, Alex Morgan, she's not doing much with those opportunities. Trinity Rodman looks like a shell of the version of the player that I am familiar with from her time in the NWSL. And when the midfield's completely disjointed and the back line's dealing with issues in transition and the opponent does a good job of double teaming Sophia Smith, this is a team that does not look confident, competent, nor comfortable in what they are doing uh rachel you were the one sounding the alarm on this with concerns about the the roster build and other things were going on and way that flacco was doing it i don't know if it was to the point where you said that they were ever not going to win the group but you were saying months ago that you were not confident that that if you had a choice between the u.s and the field you would take the field and there were a number of teams you think potentially could be bigger favorites than the u.s um and uh, once again, your rational thoughts that Woso Twitter decides to not like are coming through to fruition. Well, thank you for um, validating me and vindicating me there, Matt. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think that there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't think it's fair to just stand there and point at Vladko Andonovsky and say it's all your fault. Um, because I am a believer of the fact that, and this goes across the board really for all sports, that um, players need to take a share of the blame too. Um, and I appreciate um, lots of the players. I listened to a lot of the audio after the Portugal match of the players saying it wasn't good enough. We own up to it. Um, we're barely moving on. Um, another thing to add there, Matt, is that Rose Lavelle got a, a second, another yellow card um, in the match. So she misses the um round of 16 clash with with Sweden of of course of, of all teams Sweden um because of her yellow card accumulation but the, the problem is like yes Flacco is part of the problem and I I was like completely flabbergasted when he said well we didn't want to use subs uh against the Netherlands because it would disrupt the tempo and it's like what like <laughs> what do you mean like this is one of the the first world cups I don't have any um, concrete historical factoids or anything like that but it is one of the first world cups in a long time where there has not been rotation in the group stage and 
you know, I, I think a lot of people listen to rotation in the group stage main means that they're, you know, doubting their opponents. Well, that's not always the case. I mean, look at Sweden. They've been rotating in the group stage the whole time, and they've had such dominant performances. I mean, 5-0 against a, a decent Italian side is is crazy. And then their performance against, um, uh, I think it was Argentina. Might have been Argentina. Yeah, Argentina was very good. Um, but with the U.S. right now, they just can't score. and. That's the name of the game, right? Put the ball in the back of the net. Um, and listen, Portugal, great team. They have a really nice attacking front three. They have a really nice midfield. Um, their their dif- their defense is good. I, it's not the best in the world. It's good. And I think that the United States just not only did they not put chances away, but they weren't like they weren't attacking in the way I expected them to. They were kind of hunkered down in the midfield. Um, and you need to attack, 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 defend, repeat. Um, they are definitely lucky to not be going home. I think Portugal is definitely the better side when I rewatched the game. I, um, I I wouldn't have been upset if Portugal advanced because they were definitely deserving of it. Um, like you said, Matt, one of the many debutantes of the World Cup um, made their nation proud. And the United States is, you know, they're kind of just sitting on their hands right now and a lot of people are like well it can't get any worse from here right right (laughs) um so there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of question marks with the team right now um listen I'm not the biggest Kelly O'Hara fan I've been on this podcast saying it multiple times but in a game where you're you know not scoring and you know Portugal is like an inch off of the post from scoring a game like that needed a veteran player like Kelly O'Hara for sure. And subbing her in in the like 97th minute was just absolutely bonkers to me. Like that's when you want to use subs of Latko. <laughs> like what's going on. Um, but yeah, like you said, Matt, the attacking has definitely been abysmal. I mean, I liked what I saw from Sophia Smith in in um, the first game against Vietnam, she looked decent in the second game against the Netherlands. Um, but there just needs to be more than just that one player. I give a lot of credit to Naomi Germa for really anchoring that back line. Not an easy thing to do, stepping into Becky Sauerbrunn's shoes. But she's really been anchoring that back line. And, you know, Julie Arts at center back, still not 100% sold on it. Um, but, I, I mean, it's... It is what it is. I mean, I would rather start Alana Cook in that position, move Julia Ertz up to the number six spot um, over over Andy Sullivan and just kind of play around with that. They need to figure out an answer against Sweden and they need to figure out this goal scoring conundrum or else they're going home in the round of 16. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Rachel. Right now, they are not favorites against Sweden. Absolutely. Sweden is the favorite. And as we, you know, as we could look back to history as well, Rachel, you could argue, granted, this is with a different generation. Sweden has oft historically been a bogey team for the United States, where the United States were considered good. But you brought up a really good point, Rachel, which I think the I I think we can agree there's there's something going on with what Vlatko's doing that is not resonating well with the players you know i um uh there there has to be something beyond him not wanting to like disrupting the tempo given the legs are not seeing the bigger picture i agree with the criticism around him when the game was still in the balance after the haran goal against the netherlands i can actually understand maybe i'm just being more forgiving here i can understand where he's coming from in 
the in the simultaneous games that took place for the final match day of the group stage where you look at where you look at the scoreline you see that um that the Netherlands are absolutely blowing out Vietnam and there's not like the like okay we score a goal we still need to I, I don't remember what the what the goal difference was at the time but I think they had just scored their fifth against Vietnam so at that point like you needed four goals in 30 minutes what are the chances of that happening and so his decision to set up the team more defensively and make inherently defensive substitutions to protect for the draw because a draw was going to be you know like getting a win doesn't help you there going for the win at the expense of what was going on defensively I think was a bigger issue um to your point Rachel I've loved what I've seen from Naomi Gurma she's been absolutely fantastic Julie Ertz is out of position is she the best option there I'm not entirely sure is Kelly O'Hara secretly carrying a phantom injury and like there's some shenanigans going on with this just like there was with Sam Kerr going into the game against Canada I'm not entirely sure but Gurma has stepped up and I think given what we thought Ertz was and what she is now at her age what she is doing in a slightly out of position role I think is okay or sufficient enough I think the bigger issues I have with what's going on with this team from a shape and a tactical standpoint is what's going on in the midfield and this is the one thing that I was really concerned about one of two things I was concerned about going into this competition Rachel the first I had was that we hadn't seen a really major competition in which a lot of these younger players had really been tested We've seen them for the U.S. and friendlies. We've seen them in the She Believes Cup. A lot of these, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, it's 14 players in their first Women's World Cup for the United States. Uh, Rachel's nodding, listeners. Uh, if, we, if we're wrong off that by one or two players, we apologize. Uh, well, so Twitter, don't come at me because I'm a man, please. Um, the... Um, and so, so we had a lot of debuts, but also, Rachel, these were a lot of players who were not around for the Olympics as well. So not only is it its first major tournament that isn't friendlies, that isn't the She Believes Cup, that isn't what they're doing with their club teams. And so I think there's a valid question of were we going to see players rise to another level? Were they going to be the same player or were they going to fall down? I think we can agree, Rachel. Megan Rapino, regardless of what is happening with her in the NWSL with uh, with um, Seattle Reign, with OL Reign, excuse me, that when it comes time for the U.S. Women's National Team, she is a player who steps up. I think we can agree that what with new Rose Lavelle and what Lindsay Horan were with their club teams going into the 2019 Women's World Cup to then what they did in the 2019 World Cup was an elevation or something that we didn't have data on that we clearly saw they are capable of being big time players in big time games in big time tournaments. And I don't know that we've seen that from a lot of the other players. Certainly we haven't seen that from Trinity Rodman, but so my, my question, my other concern that I had, Rachel getting to my original point is I liked all of the midfielders that he brought in overall, but it wasn't clear to me what the specific roles were going to be in any of these. And so where I've seen where things have looked disjointed in terms of how the ball's moving through a Lindsay Horan, how much of what's going on with Roosevelt has been due to the knee injury that she's been dealing with to where she's not the same versus maybe how she's being coached and what she's being told to what to do by Vlatko is an interesting question. Not that it matters for this coming weekend because Roosevelt has two yellow cards and is suspended for that game. What happens in midfield beyond that? I'm not entirely sure, Rachel, but without Roosevelt, this hasn't really been a progressive midfield. You look at, I think, between the three of them, I think they had like 62% passing as well. Is that a disconnect between how the forwards are moving? Is that a disconnect in terms of the midfield passes being inaccurate? 
accurate? Are they disjointed? Was it all just nerves in that situation? I'm not entirely sure, but like the the lack of organization and lack of continuity in the midfield in terms of what they're doing individually and collectively, I think is setting them up to where they're not creating as numerous and as high quality open looks in the final third. Not that anyone outside of Sophia Smith has done anything with those looks. And simultaneously, it's left the back line exposed for basically Naomi Gurma to be I, I, a sweeper center back for lack of a better term rate like like there were there were times against the dutch in transition defensively where she single-handedly was being a catanacho back four in italy and as i think is done really fantastically there and again uh, are all of these problems solved by becky sour run being in there i think is a valid question rachel but then that that poses the original question that we had upon which vlatko and Anofsky's era for the U.S. women's national team was going to be determined was how was he going to handle the transition between the older generation and the younger generation? And the reality is like the middle of this group, the um, the uh, the episode five, the Empire Strikes Back is basically Rose Lavelle, excuse me, is a one legged Rose Lavelle and then Lindsay Horan and then not a whole lot else in the middle. And so there's too few veterans. The veterans are hurt. The veterans are not fit. They're not playing particularly well. Julie Ertz has been OK, not great. Alex Morgan, obviously hasn't scored that's something that we would expect of her given her pedigree with the national team i don't think that megan rapino other than being energetic and open but then not doing anything when she got the ball was anything to write home about for her um in that game against portugal and then the young players as well other than naomi gurma and i think you could argue i think you could argue sophia smith it's been those two and then nobody else has really filled in um and i think all of this is kind of leading me to wondering rachel whether or not this team really wants it because for those veterans that we've talked about their legacies were already cemented if not in 2015 and 2019 and maybe there's a bunch of young players that are coming in with a level of expectation or confidence or arrogance that is based on what others in the past have done without they themselves having done it um and i want to give I want to give credit to a comment that Alexi Lawless made on his podcast earlier this week, Rachel, where he said that also that you, you've got the the dynamic that I just described with the veterans, but also there's a bunch of young players who are thinking, oh, this is my first World Cup. This is setting me up for writing the true um, legendary status of what we're going to do later in a World Cup, Rachel, which I think a lot of those players have to be confident about coming in 2027 is going to be a hosted World Cup as well. And is that just leading to this team being one or two percent more complacent than they were in 2019? That is the difference given the revenge factor for the Netherlands and the desperation that Portugal had in that game. Otherwise, um, Rachel, I've been ranting a lot. Anything you want to say or can we move on? I think we can move on after just, you know, one little quick point. I, I think that I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I, I heard Alexi Lawless's podcast. I heard what he said, but also at the same time, like, I think there is just a lot of pressure on this team to three Pete. And I think there still is. Um, hopefully this world cup is changing that because of, you know, and we'll touch on this, what Jamaica did with Brazil and what, um, you know, how Norway's looked and, and, you know, J Japan scoring four on Spain. I still think, though, there is this kind of like idea in people's heads that, well, the U.S. is automatically going to win the group and the U.S. is is going to cruise their way to a three P. Well, this is just like the struggles of 2015, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I just I, I hope that this will show people that the game is improving and that it's not 
like the U.S. aren't bad. It's just other teams are good and other teams are matching their level. The U.S. is struggling, and I think that's fair to say, but there are teams around them that aren't struggling as bad as they are. So I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, it does. Uh, Rachel, we kind of already said it, but um, we 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 both have them losing in the round of 16 to Sweden, yes? Without a doubt. Okay. Um, let's move on, Rachel, to one of your favorite people when it comes to former women's national team players, um, Carly Lloyd, who's made a number of comments that we won't quote directly here, but effectively questioning the um uh questioning the personnel decisions as far as Lachlan Danowski is concerned and then his in-game management that we've kind of already questioned um and I want to preface this Rachel because you've already said offline how you feel about that player and you're going to say so in a moment without using as many four-letter words but um like two things can be true here where uh Carly Lloyd as someone who knows what it takes to win in the Women's World Cup who's very an astute commentator and an astute watcher of the game can make constructive criticism of a team and a coach that she was previously a part of and that be valid and also acknowledge that the tone or where that's coming from or the insider information that she is using is out of spite for the way that that coach treated her i think those two things are not necessarily incongruent um i think she's made some fair constructive criticisms um of them overall um as i've already said previously i think the i think there's a disconnect between uh, or i disagree with the um with the argument that's made by people in the last two games successively about the changes that Vlaco said where he didn't make any other subs against the netherlands other than the halftime sub for roosevelt and i disagree with i i don't understand where vodka coming from i think that's fair criticism but then the people who are looking at it saying oh we should have won the game not understanding the game state and what was going on between the netherlands and vietnam and saying oh we should have tried to win the game like the fact that you played small is an indication of like his feebleness as a manager i think that's unfair i think that's where people are connecting dots that i'm not connecting and carly lloyd was absolutely connecting those dots but um rachel your thoughts and what else could be going on from a media distraction standpoint with it as we saw in 2019 this team was very good at drowning out that this team i'm not so sure will be able to drown out between now and sunday morning well i will say this nobody really cared for carly lloyd when she was on the team i'm pretty sure they're not losing too much sleep over what she's saying when she's not on the team um from a player standpoint i don't think the players are going to be um focusing too much about what she said um This is the same Carly Lloyd who didn't allow any criticism when she was a player and would I'm still blocked on Twitter because I wrote that she had a bad game for Houston. Like what? (laughs) Fair criticism, right? If you can't give it, don't take it or whatever. Um, But anyway, I think I and I'm in total agreement with you. I think it's different to question like the team's heart. This is the same person who got mad because God forbid, Matt, Trinity Rodman did a TikTok dance with some teammates that it's not professional anymore. And it's not, you know, up to Carly Lloyd's standard. Like, first off, off the high horse, humble some, eat some humble pie and just move on with your retired life. Like, I do not care if you are analyzing games and you're saying, player X, Y, and Z had crap games because let's face it, most of these players had crap games. My issue too is where she got mad about players going to see the fans. I don't really care about 
dancing and whatever. I don't, I just don't care. But these people, like, this is not, I don't think people understand. This is not an easy tournament to get to. So I give credit to someone like Trinity Rodman, Matt. I don't know if you saw the NWSL's post, but she stayed out there until they told her, like, hey, you actually, like, have to go join your team and get off the pitch. Um, Your team's, the team bus is leaving. But she stayed there, signed autographs, took pictures, met with fans for, I think I saw, like, about an hour or something. That's a big move from a young player who could have put her head down and said, I had a really crappy game. I'm going to dwell on this. So for her to go over to the fans who spent a lot of money to get to New Zealand, who are currently spending a lot of money to follow the team, like it's that to me, like that's a big deal. I'm, I can put aside however I feel about player X, Y, and Z, if they do that, if they do something like that. Um, I, I think that just Carly Lloyd, like she has no right to question anybody's heart whenever she skipped an NWSL game to go to a concert. That's the, that's the mic drop I'm going to leave off with because you, you told me I have to keep it clean and I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize that. And the other thing that I'm also kind of wondering about this, Rachel, you know, I think we've seen, you know, Heather O'Reilly is there with Fox and doing some media stuff as well. And I think her criticism has always been constructive, both when she's been like a player who's been brought in to do media stuff whilst being a player. So say like her team uh, gets eliminated from the playoffs early and then she's commentating. I think she's fair and constructive. I think she was obviously very constructive and a net positive for Fox's coverage um, of the 2019 World Cup, uh, not 2019 Women's World Cup. And Rachel, as many as longtime listeners the podcast will know we are not big fans of fox when it comes to how they end up covering stuff they end up lowballing on money and then also um you know doing things really cheaply when they know they're the only program in town uh, i like they're on i like they're in uh in the press box or in their in the tv media booth um coverage that they have when it comes to their play-by-play and their commentary um and as we've also documented on this podcast i have a complicated relationship uh with my fellow ginger alexi lalas but the okay rachel you know she wants to be upset at the at the young players for not necessarily knowing that i think it's just as fair to say like where was kelly o'hara where was Vlatko? where was megan rapino where was um uh you know where was alex morgan like going over to them being like hey stop it or hey not right now kind of a thing like let's let's focus let's do a team thing like you want to do that tomorrow after it's blown off you want to do that in private but like don't dance or like don't do it when the cameras are on you or don't do it for social media purposes i don't know if you saw rachel but there was a lot of the u.s soccer um constructive criticism and then also like the like trad con slightly anti-feminist side of twitter that was picking up on the um so I don't know if you saw Rachel. There was a video that was taken pregame with uh, Megan Rapino and the Crystal Dunn were out in the field. They had some pretty decent swag. Um, Pino had a like a blazer jacket that had the U.S. soccer crest over there. I can't remember what Crystal Dunn was wearing, but it was of her ilk and then very um, it was drip, as the kids would say it as well. And they're just kind of dancing and vibing in the pregame stuff as well. And like that was circulating around on Twitter after the game as well. Maybe the people who have made the comments since then about what happened postgame had not seen that video. Video, but if uh, if Crystal Crystal Dunn, excuse me, if Carly Lloyd is going to come at all the young players for doing that, not necessarily knowing that place, I think there's an equal criticism that should be had for the veterans in terms of not teaching them to know better, and also the veterans that were doing the exact same thing as well. And so when when you come out with that, you're going to come out with that kind of swagger and everything, Rachel. You need to beat Portugal. Um, 
And then also similarly, I saw someone make a joke uh, that it was uh, it was equal pay for equal play um, in terms of that being really cringy. But, you know, also like the the U.S. women talked a big game when it came to what they felt their competition compensation should have been in 2019. And they backed it up. And if they end up barely squeaking into the group, not playing exciting soccer, having some key players who are injured, not being able to overcome it and then absolutely underperforming and then deserving the result of getting going out in the 2016 like they oh and then also former players actively feuding with the head coach as well the u.s women's national team has become the u.s men's national team without the uh domestic violence implications that were going on with flacco and Donovsky that obviously are still present for greg berhalter as well so the I, I think like collectively like there needs to be a culture reset rachel i don't know how you do that in three days i don't know how you do that and then fix the midfield without roosevelt and then also get strikers who haven't performed well in three games to get to that point there that being said you know doubt the u.s women's national team at their peril historically they've been at their best sometimes when they've been doubted but that's going to rely like the veteran players juliards maybe lindsey haran certainly alex morgan certainly megan rapino by the 60th minute the absolute latest are going to have to back that up or elevate that or the young players are going to have to then take on the persona of their um, of their predecessors um, and they need to walk the walk so far. They have just been talking the talk or tick-tocking the, the tick-tock. Um, I, I butchered that. All right, moving on, dear listeners. Uh, so this isn't, uh, so the Women's World Cup is not just happening for the United States and their group. There was a bunch of other stuff going on. I will briefly touch on Rachel, what was going on with Australia, where obviously uh, we already saw that New Zealand um, was eliminated in heartbreaking fashion uh, and are mathematically, well, now with Australia going through, they're the first and so far only host of the Women's World Cup to make it out of the group. I think that was certainly a disappointment for them, Rachel. You saw the buzz that was going around, I think, with their games that they were playing down in New Zealand. There was good energy. I think they've got a lot of really good, young, talented players who are playing um, in the A-League, who are playing elsewhere in the country, and they just weren't able to put it together. How much of that was maybe them being a little bit new to the bright stage and maybe kind of similar to South Africa and Qatar when it comes to the um, when it comes to the men's World Cup of kind of the, like the stage being bigger for where they were, where if they were hosting the 2027 Women's World Cup and this World Cup was taking place elsewhere where it's like, like hey, let's do the World Cup and then having that prior experience, maybe that undid them a little bit. But credit to the Matildas who absolutely demolished Canada and broke their hearts and did so without Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr now has a week for the calf strain question mark. It's it's hard for me to keep track of all of these women's World Cup injuries, Rachel, because there's so many of them. In any case, the injury that she was dealing with, she'll be getting over. Um, I think the tournament needed that, to be honest, Rachel, with the player that we're about to talk about and some of the other things going on with teams. You know, Norway's kind of begrudgingly getting through the group stage as well, and things aren't well, even with Otta Hegerberg, who I was kind of team Otta Hegerberg. And when you see the rumors that are going out right now for the people who cover the team, she's kind of been she's been away long enough to then come back and then become the villain rather than leaving as the hero heroine um which is disappointing but i i hope the obviousies do well i hope sam kerr is able to do something i don't know rachel that they get out of the round of 16 without sam kerr with just the all the other things that have been going on against them and i think it would be the the soccer gods and the women's world cup script writers would be doing an incredible disservice to the game if this entire if Australia's time hosting the Women's World Cup takes place and Sam Kerr does not even become get a substitute appearance. So I'm rooting for her. I think everybody pretty much associated with the Women's World Cup is rooting for her, um, maybe with the exception of, of course, I don't have the um, the knockout bracket in front of me, Rachel, to know 
They are playing, wait for it, wait for it, scrolling, Denmark. Denmark, thank you. So, yes, so maybe the, maybe the, yes, maybe the Lady Danes are not rooting for Sam Kerr in this regard. But I think, you know, that, that that's similar to Rachel. Like everyone outside of France was rooting for Lionel Messi at the, at the Men's World Cup. I think it's fair to say, unless you are playing Australia, unless you or your team is playing Australia, you are rooting for Australia, you are rooting for Sam Kerr in regards to this tournament. So I'd love to see that. And then one heartbreak that we saw, Rachel, um, is Marta and Brazil go out, but uh, soccer is maybe a, a zero-sum game in that. Then we get the wonderful story of the Jamaica, uh, of the reggae girls getting through as well. But Rachel, Marta said as she walked out and left the 2019 Women's World Cup of Cry Today so that you can smile tomorrow, and unfortunately, Rachel Marta is again crying again. Talk to me about that, what this says about this Brazil team, given it's an end of the era for certainly them and certainly for Marta. But at the same time as well, an absolute wonderful story for what was already one of the fun new young teams in CONCACAF. Well, and Marta gave another really awesome speech at the end of um, at the end of off, you know, the game today. I can't speak today. Sorry. At the end of the game today, she gave a really nice um really nice speech where she, you know, said, again, there's not going to be another Marta forever. Um, get behind this team. She said, you know, I, I may be old and I may be gone, but these girls are still young and that they'll be back. Um, it's the first time for China too, actually. Um, the first time in women's world cup history that, um, China and Brazil have not made it to a knockout round since 1995. Um, Matt, <laughs> I won't say how old you were, but I was not born yet. <laughs> <laughs> so um that's that was kind of a crazy crazy stat to hear to be honest with you um but yeah I think there's you know it's hard to put into words what like Marta means to the game she's just one of those players that has delivered constantly I was really really hoping she would get that sixth um goal in a, in a sixth consecutive world cup her or Sinclair I didn't really care who um both would have been awesome but neither did get it um Canada another team that went out in the group stage which was a big shocker to a lot of people um but not to me because whoop whoop go Nigeria um but yeah Marta just means so much to soccer and there there really isn't a player who cares the way that she does like there are players who care don't get me wrong don't I don't want people to misconstrue my words to to think that I'm with Carly Lloyd and that players don't care players do care but there's just something about Marta and the way she speaks and just the things that she says like if soccer were like a political election she would win every single time <laughs> um but she's just like i personally think she's the greatest of all time she has boatloads of i think she has like five or six fifa women's player of the year awards um she she's the goat i mean she there's no doubt she is the goat um her and sinclair of course sinclair being the all-time leading uh goal scorer male uh men's or women's there's just i mean it, it's crazy to see that that's how it ended um, and nobody expected that that is exactly how it would end. But I am happy for Jamaica. Matt, I love CONCACAF. And my favorite thing about CONCACAF is the little guys. I don't care about Canada. I don't care about the U.S. women's national team. I love Costa Rica. I love Panama. I love Haiti. And I love um, and I love Jamaica. And after everything that Jamaica has been through. Havana Salone's mom made a GoFundMe to even get this team 
to news uh, Australia and New Zealand. So for them, for them to go to the round of 16, there has never been another CONCACAF nation that isn't the U.S. or um, Canada that made the knockout rounds. Well, Jamaica just put their name on that very, very, very short list. And it's it's great for the region. It's great for just international soccer in general. And it's great for Jamaica and for these players. And I hope I hope that the JFF gets behind them. Um, you know, lots of teams fighting with their federations. Um, really hope JFF gives them the support that they deserve because the reggae girls have just shocked so many people and they could very well win in the round of 16. Like it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it was a great, great game this morning, um, as a neutral, but also very sad to see Marta go. But as a CONCACAF lover, I was, I was so happy to see Jamaica's result. Um, let's look ahead, Rachel. Uh, I think we've talked enough women's world cup, at least for now, hopefully we're back in the next couple of weeks. Listeners will certainly do a, a post-mortem, um, as soon as the U S's time in Australia and New Zealand is over. And that might be, that might be on Sunday afternoon, Rachel, that might be on Monday. Um, it might be in a couple of weeks. Um, but so most of the bracket is set, Rachel, I should say that we do have one final group, which has not been settled, which does have some, uh interesting scenarios that we have um that is group i scroll 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 through the table group h um in which you've got uh colombia in first place with six points uh and then germany and morocco both on three points um and i suppose rachel there's a scenario here a lot of goal difference would have to happen in order to save south korea who've lost their first two games but there's still a going into the final uh Going into the final match day of the group stage, listeners, still all four teams technically mathematically in it. Most likely Colombia will be the um, uh, is, is most likely to go through and then probably Germany after that. Um, I'll, I'll say it ends up going chalk for me personally, Rachel. I think Germany finishes second. I think Colombia finishes first unless let me make sure they're not playing each other. Okay, they are not. They have already played each other. So I think um, I, I think Colombia gets a result against Morocco and I think Germany um I think Germany beat South Korea handedly, but Colombia will at least get a draw to finish uh, first in the group. So that's it. The rest of the group is the rest of the round of 16 is set, folks. On one side of the bracket, you have Switzerland versus Spain, Netherlands versus South Africa in the same quartile, same uh, half, but different quartile. You have Japan and Norway, the aforementioned United States versus Sweden. Then on the other side of the bracket, you have um Australia and Denmark, France and TBD, uh, the second place finisher in Group H. Um, and then it's England versus Nigeria. And then Jamaica will be taking on the winner of the final group there. Um, Rachel, we won't go through the whole bracket, obviously. But um, Rachel, give me right now, give me a favorite. And then give me who you think are, give me what you think the final matchup will be. Like for the whole World Cup? Like uh, Yes. Yeah, so bracket? give me, yeah, who makes the final and then who ends up winning the Women's World Cup as of right now? I was I was so confident in Spain, but after seeing Japan thrash them for nothing, I mean, Japan only beat Costa Rica 2-0. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, Matt. Um, I don't think any team wants to play Japan right now. I think they have a very good shot of making it. So either um either Japan or or Spain in that final spot. And then I think I, I really want to say Nigeria gets the upset against England. Um I don't, I'm not 100% certain, but I think France has a really good shot, too. I don't see Australia, Denmark, or um, 
Columbia is a good shell too. I don't know. Oh, there's so many to pick from. I, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Spain making the final on the one side of the bracket, Rachel. And then I will say it will be, let me make sure this is right from, yes, it can be. I think it will be a England France semifinal on the other side of the bracket. I think no matter what happens in that game, so I'm, I'm adding some a few other predictions here, listeners. Uh, I think no matter what happens in that semifinal, the winner of that semifinal will beat Spain in the final. I personally will predict uh, France to go through and do it. So France will avenge Kylian Mbappe. And I, I, I don't know what it is, Rachel. Like the We knew that France had talent, but just like Herb Renard coming in and just changing the vibes and everything. And I think them loving to it. Rachel's rolling her eyes a little. Okay, no, she's accepting. Okay, I thought she was rolling her eyes and disgusting and everything but no we are we are team her bernard on this one um i'll tell you what rachel we'll do a podcast after the women's world cup and if france ends up winning it we both have to wear like dress button down shirts and everything and um no. you can let your hair down my hair is not growing long enough to uh to match her bernard's anytime soon so we'll do that uh so that's our prediction so far listeners and we reserve the right to change them when all the teams we just picked uh lose in the round of 16 and it ends up being nigeria versus um jamaica in the semifinal, which rachel would absolutely love um rachel i want to tell our listeners and i want to give our listeners a shout out to athletic greens uh they have a signature ag1 formula and it is perfect for your daily nutrition and long-term gut health support as well ag1 supports two of the most important health needs that you do have nutrition for your body that you need every single day and then long-term gut health together they help fuel your entire body and this can impact everything from your sleep to your digestion energy mood immunity and even the health of your skin your hair and your nails as well follow the link in the description folks to get started started with AG1 today. Thank you to Athletic Greens for sponsoring this podcast and last word on sports. With that, Rachel, let us move on to League's Cup. Uh, Rachel, I will admit you and I have both chosen in terms of our viewing habits and given the overlap between the two with our limited free time, we have both chosen the Women's World Cup more so than League's Cup. I've watched a lot of highlights. I've seen a lot of banter from butthurt Liga Mekis fans on Twitter as well, which has been absolutely hilarious, Rachel. Uh, that Chivas uh, FC Cincinnati game will live rent-free. Uh, it will live I, It will live belovingly rent-free in my head. It will live rent-free in the heads of uh, of Mexican soccer Twitter for many weeks now. But, um, Rachel, let's start with uh, chronologically the first thing we saw in Leafs Cup, which was Messi making his debut for Inter-Miami, or should I say Inter-Messi and representing Messi League Soccer. Messi comes on as a substitute and scores the winner at the end of the game against Cruz Azul at home. And then he absolutely he leads the attack as they absolutely decimate Atlanta United, scoring two, and then I think getting at least one at least one primary assist. Maybe there was a hockey assist in there as well. Um, and Rachel, amazing what one similar to... I, I realize I'm about to compare Messi to Nico Lodero when, uh, but similar to Nico Lodero coming in in the middle of the summer of 2016, amazing what a few weeks off, two wins, a brand new star player who's going to save the team, and a new head coach and a new voice in the locker room will do for a club. Rachel, how fun has Messi been? Uh, what do we think that this could mean for Inter Miami in the next couple months as they, dear God, actually try to make the playoffs, win League's Cup, beat some Mexican teams, or um, should we all just bow down to the new super club within Major League Soccer as the 2014? the 2015 FC Barcelona teams being reassembled in South Florida. Um. Oh God, makes me just really wish Don Garber would just give us something about roster rules and how they don't exist anymore. Uh, um, 
Oh my gosh, Messi is so much fun to watch. I I am so excited that he's playing in Miami, like in the United States. It's so much fun. Everybody should be super hyped. And to all of the annoying U.S. women's national team stands that were like, quote, tweeting people saying, where were you when Lionel Messi made his Inner Miami debut? And everyone was like, watching the U.S. women's national team. That's what dual monitors are for. And that's what a laptop and a TV is for. Um, and I was one of those people. I was watching both games. It was a lot of fun to be able to experience Um actually seeing Lionel Messi step on the pitch it wasn't an MLS match yet but still it it was awesome to see him play in both of those games um I, I was really upset though that everybody was downplaying the um Tata Martino and Joseph Martinez back against uh their former club storyline of course Messi's Messi's gonna overshadow everything but um, rightfully so, like you said, with those stats, Matt, I mean, it's just so much fun. Um, it's exciting. It's, it's really humbling to have the world's greatest and the world's best player, um, playing. And this is only good for MLS because he's showing that it's not a retirement league that he can still compete and that he wants to help this team. Um, and I don't know about you, Matt, but living forever rent-free in my head, Lionel Messi giving the captain's armband to DeAndre Edlin. Poof. Yes. <laughs> uh, we both did the the Italian. Uh, you you know what I'm talking about with the hands, like the the sauce, the sauce. Um, yes, was fantastic. Um, I want to talk about the atmospheres as well, Rachel, because we had some curiosity of what that was going to look like, and I think it's fair to say I don't I don't have the stats. I don't know that there are stats public. I'm curious, Rachel, how much of this were fans from Mexico traveling and following their team around for the tournament? How many of those are fans that just picked regionally where their team was based? So like all the Toluca fans that I saw and I tweeted about for the game against Colorado Rapids on Monday were those Toluca fans who live in Denver, were those Toluca fans who are Mexican-Americans who flew in for the game from the United States, were those Toluca fans who, just like we've seen, Rachel, where there's the the super fan that will plan out their summer vacation, their off-season vacation to follow wherever their club is playing in the world that's a number I don't necessarily have. But in any case, Rachel, as we've seen from the Mexican national team, as we've seen from Champions League, when you give enough head time, a heads up, and there's a big game to be played in the continental United States, the fans of that Mexican team will show up. And they've created some really interesting atmospheres. You know, I look at it where there was, um, where obviously FC Cincinnati had their usual atmosphere against Chivas de Guadalajara, but then you also had a decent amount of Chivas support. I think I would argue personally, Rachel, that... Maybe not in number, but certainly in terms of volume. Toluca took over their two away games that they had, first against Nashville and then against Colorado Rapids. Obviously, decent Leon support when they got a one a one nil nail biter against uh, LA Galaxy. Um, and then obviously the uh, Monterey fans who showed up uh, against Seattle Sounders. We don't have to talk about that game anymore now that I've mentioned it, Rachel. But so the atmospheres for me has been fantastic. I think if there was any doubt that the Mexican teams were not going to take this seriously because it was a summer tournament, uh, not to say that League Cup is any that holds anything to a candle, Rachel, of the uh, summer series trophy that uh, that uh, 
that Chelsea FC ended up winning who, and then I saw a Chelsea fan like who named like the entirety of the trophy and like, cause it has a sponsorship and I don't remember what it is. And it was so like the Tottenham Hotspurs, you'll never sing that referring to the actual trophy, which I thought was hilarious. But so um, the Mexican fans have showed up, even if this is the preseason, this is a competition they want to win. They see this as part of the, the border war debate that we have between American football and uh, football de Mexico. And certainly I think the teams overall have taken it seriously. You know, you look at, and you saw Velko Panovic, Rachel, for Chivas when he was asked about it after the game and just him being crestfalling and seeing it absolutely as a failure of Chivas for them to not um, go through. Certainly Club America, even though I would argue they were in the group of death, for them to not win the group was certainly a disappointment for them. For them to get spanked by Columbus Crew with <laughs> without Lucas Zellerian, whose entire appearance was walking onto the field to wave by the Columbus Crew fans as he's about to go get the bag in Saudi Arabia, was certainly a disappointment for them. And you've even seen it transition over to Twitter, Rachel, from the memes to uh, the, I can't remember if it was Atlas or Caretaro, but the, uh, the admin that was complaining about the officiating and maybe VAR missing an offsides and then deciding to quote one of Adolf Hitler's Nazi cronies like the it, like Champions League took a while Rachel for I think MLS fans to understand it for MLS fans to get competitive into it and Le and Liga MX has come in and Lee's Cup has come in and just being like hey guys we're starting at an 11 out of 10 and that's been absolutely fantastic for me seeing it in person seeing it from a distance and so I just really want to celebrate that um, one other thing that I do want to mention, Rachel, I don't know that we've gotten uh, the first year of this competition was always going to be weird. And to the extent, Rachel, that this competition was a better metric than CCL in terms of the quality of the leagues. I don't know that we have enough data at this point so far. You know, it's roughly two to one in terms of number of teams taking place in taking part in the competition. And if you look at the round of 32, you had 12 of those 32 teams be a, being Liga MX. So let's throw out, Rachel, the fact that we've got two teams that uh, automatically get a buy by their getting championships last year in their respective domestic leagues. And out of 30 teams that competed in the group stage, you had 11 of those uh, 30 that, or excuse me, 11 of the 30 that made it through to the round of 32 via the group stage were Liga MX. So that's roughly three to one, which is about the representation that we had there. But I don't know that we have, uh, even in the first year of the competition, I don't know that we have enough data to say definitively which one this tells about. You know, I think the, the true metric for me, Rachel, about the Premier League being seen as the superior league in Europe is not necessarily Manchester City winning Champions League. It is how would Crystal Palace do against Real Betis? If you put, um, you know, let's say, I, I don't know, if, if you put Sassuolo or... Um, or uh, Venezia into one into Germany, do they audit like are they also in a relegation battle? I think that's the more interesting question. Obviously, there's the money aspect as well, in which you know Premier League teams are outspending everybody outside of basically Italy and Bayern Munich right now. Oh, and PSG, of course. But um, I, I think we're going to get a lot more data, Rachel, in terms of how like the the top of the top. In MLS and League MX, we see play each other every single year in Champions League. That next tier down, we're going to get in the form of this knockout round as teams eventually see each other. And certainly if it's uh, if League MX is three to one in the semifinal and it's an all Mexican final, then I think that's going to continue to feed the narrative. Um, I'm really curious to see what happens, Rachel, because obviously what we saw in CONCACAF Champions League earlier this year was, I think, certainly a 
um, was just a, it, it was another reminder that while what Seattle did last year was absolutely fantastic, it didn't completely shift the paradigm that we saw when it comes to MLS teams versus Liga Mekis teams. I would like it to be uh, one U.S. team, one Mexican team, or Canadian in this case, uh, be in the final. That's what I would prefer to see. I think there's a better storyline. I think there's more interest in that as well. But certainly, I think we we have to re we'd have to reestablish. Okay, last year was a bit of a fluke. It's still very clear that Liga MX is a superior league to MLS when it comes to on the field competition. If it were to be three or four teams in the semifinals, being for Mexico, and certainly an all Liga MX um, final for League's Cup on the 19th. Uh, Rachel, anything else that we want to say about League's Cup? And why don't we go ahead and give an early prediction on who we think the champion will be? I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to say Pachuca. I like their their side of the bracket a little bit better um, than I like some of the other Mexican teams. Um, I know that means that if, you know, Miami would win two, two of their matches, they would, and Pachuca would win two matches, they would meet up in the... Um, in the quarterfinals, but I don't know, man. Pachuca looked pretty good in Liga Emekis last year. And yeah, I don't know. I think I think they I think they take it. I'm gonna go with Monterey in this one, Rachel. I thought they were absolutely fantastic in the group stage. And the thing we have to remember about this listeners is that all of these Liga Emekis teams, you know, they play at most two competitive games in terms of their preseason, if we're not counting their friendlies and everything. So the the Mexican teams that make it longer and make it further into the competition, Rachel, are building up their fitness. Whereas like the like the MLS teams, like their fitness is already leveled off in terms of where they are midseason. Maybe not in the case of the teams that have had significant turnover and bringing over um players from Europe that are coming out of their summer. So, you know, maybe um, inter Miami gets more dangerous the later we get in as well, because they still, you know, because every single, every single time they advance, Rachel, it's just another opportunity for a player that they've signed, you know, for Messi and friends to get their visa, get a couple days in training, Messi to build up his fitness and everything, you know, Messi started, but didn't finish the 90 minutes in the second game in the group stage for Inter, he came off the bench in that first one as well. If they make the final, you know, if we're talking four or five more games from Epstein to play in, Rachel, he should be 90 minutes fit by the time we get to the final. That's not true for, I think, basically the rest of teams in MLS, however, though. So I think the that's the other variable to consider where all of these Mexican teams are in preseason and the Mexican team that makes it to a semifinal or final plays their way into fitness in ways that most other MLS teams, like the advantage that they had at the start of the group stage is only getting diminished. They're not getting more fit as well where they are. And we also have to consider, Rachel, that eventually the the war of attrition that's going on in MLS with how much congestion there was in terms of injuries and everything, that could start to become a factor for the MLS teams in ways that it wouldn't be for the Mexican teams, at least right now. Certainly a Mexican team could come out of this very fit, but then also starting to deplete some of that tank such that by the time they get to the middle of the apertura, that's when um, that's when that war of attrition, that's when that weight of what's happening and then making the final in Leagues Cup would start to unfold. Obviously, that wouldn't impact right now. Um, entire club seasons, Rachel, are derailed by what happens in a World Cup. That doesn't mean that that necessarily affects the, you know, the World Cup once the final happens and everything. You could pull your hamstring, you know, in 119th minute of the World Cup, and you're going to stay out there for five minutes and, you know, be damned your league season. You win the World Cup. Who cares? So that's another variable that I have that I think is interesting. I think Monterey has a relatively easy path in these next couple of games. And I think the longer they go, they'll be dangerous. I think it's the two Monterey teams in terms of, for me, Rachel, that I think are the favorites amongst the Liga Mekis teams. With the exception of 
who had the bye week that I can't remember off of the top of my head. Um, was it Pumas? I think it was Pumas. I might have that wrong. Um, so that would be the other one. And the obviously the one team that we haven't seen, Rachel, is LAFC, um, who, as we know, are a very good team. have had a couple weeks to maybe reset from their disappointing middle period for by their standards and everything. Um, so we'll see um, what goes well on with them. Um, they've got no time to lose in this one as they're playing FC Juarez in the round of 32. I think that does it for us in terms of League's Cup coverage. Uh, so, Rachel, let's get on with it. Uh, we've picked our champion. Um, so let's go to um, last words. Oh, I guess, um, Rachel, I kind of already said it, but uh, anything that we want to say about Lucas El Arreon to the Saudi uh, Premier League, Saudi Pro League, um, the rumored transfer fee out there, Rachel, on Twitter is that it was $2.5 million. I think Lucas El Arreon is worth a lot more than that for um columbus crew i have to wonder if just like the player was like hey let me get the bag like i've already helped you win a trophy but i don't get that decision from columbus i think they were a dark horse for both leagues cup and for mls cup and i think losing zelarayan i feel very confident in saying that they are not going to win a trophy so far they're not going to win a trophy the rest of the season and i don't know how you let one of those pieces go without just getting like absolute maximum valuation you know rachel if uh, if someone approaches the seattle sounders front office and being like hey we want to buy jordan morris it's like okay you can have him here's the price and that price is way more than anybody in mls would ever offer the seattle sounders for jordan morris so the fact that they sold him did get a literal king's ransom back for him and then also derailed their season without immediately bringing in a like for like replacement in terms of a number 10 i don't fully understand that that is a signal to me that the Saudi Pro League is going to continue to be a disruptor in the transfer market for other teams and other leagues, not just the not just big players on big teams in um, in Europe as well. And I think that's going to be disruptive for them. And I'm kind of curious to see, you know, are we going to see are we going to see more of this as well? Where obviously I think MLS is able to properly compensate some of their big name players and everything. But there's certainly like we have to acknowledge, Rachel, like the the, the Jordan Morris's wages could be tripled by PIF tomorrow. And that would not be a dent in terms of their coffers and all the money that they're about to spend to try and get Killian Mbappe and eventually Erling Holland maybe as well. All valid questions. But uh, Rachel, your last words and then um, any. Anything you want to say about the surprise Zillaran transfer? Does that mean Columbus is getting Mitro? Oh God, I hope not. No, no, <laughs> God, no, God, no, Rachel. Um, yeah, it's 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 50 million euros. Uh the 2.5 that they got uh will not go very, very far in terms of um helping the Hagland family make it easy for Haslam family making it easy for them to afford Alexander Mitrovich. But if they want to call up Tony Khan and offer 60 million euros right now. I don't mind. <laughs> Bring Mitro to, to MLS. Let's get this trending, Matt. Um, before we get into Watch out, Pro. You're gonna have to the, the disciplinary committee is gonna be really busy when he assaults a referee. Hide hide Ted Uncle at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> Someone get Ted Uncle. Uh, before, before I go into last words, um, wanna say thank you, of course, to Icarus FC. Are you tired of looking? Are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? You're looking for a completely custom kit, unique for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team. Icarus FC can help you create the the, the kit of your dreams and an affordable price. With the motto, any design you want, seriously, let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Gosh, I love that ad so much. Um, 
my last words. Okay, so there was news this week that Bruce Arena is being suspended by the league by um um as as head coach of the Revolution because he made insensitive remarks. Of course, they did not say you know what he said, but. Bottom line, he made insensitive remarks. He did a no-no. But I just want to let everyone know that we always have known that Bruce Arena sucks. Um, I don't remember if, I don't know if you remember, Matt, but when he was named um, coach of the national team again, um, of course, after my my good, lovely friend, Jurgen Klinsmann, and I say friend without even knowing him, but I love Jurgen Klinsmann, was um, canned. There were comments that Bruce Arena made that were brought back up when he said, yeah, Americans are not like you're not a real American if you weren't born here, which is like half of the U.S. men's national team at that time being dual citizens. Of course, you got your guys like John, um, John Brooks, Julian Green, Aaron Johansson at that point, um, Fabian Johnson, Timmy Chandler. So that was a big no, no in my book. Um, I never liked him. Uh, he never he never really acknowledged or apologized for those remarks um, to be a fly on the wall in meetings that he had with some of those players that I mentioned. But we know that Bruce Arena stinks and a 71 year old dude making insensitive remarks color me shocked. Um, but that's all I have to say for last words. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so for my last words, so Rachel, I need a little bit of help here. Um, so Fulham has released its new kits. Uh, this this is nothing to do with MLS. So listeners, if you if, if you want to cross out right now, like feel free to do so. But so Full America is a big thing here. And Rachel, now both of the new Fulham kits have been released for the upcoming Premier League season. I like the primary kit. It's really hard to mess up a Fulham kit. Make it white with some black trim and then have it say Fulham on it. And we're happy. There were some people who were unhappy, Rachel, with the dissimilar shoulders where you've got the red on one side and black on the other. I would say having now seen it on TV, having seen it in person, that it is growing on me and I do like it and the secondary kit came out and the slight Easter egg leak that we saw in the original jersey launch for the home kit is true Rachel this thing is highlighter pink listeners you will remember the 2014 2015 secondary Colorado Rapids kit that was the Colorado flag that was like all yellow with some blue and red as yellow as that kit is is how pink this how highlighter pink this uh this mulum kit is rachel i looked at it (laughs) yes and so the yeah so the there are a lot of jokes then rachel that we have because margot robbie is a fulham supporter via her actor producer husband who is originally from fulham rachel coincidentally uh has fulham has a decent number of uh british actors when it comes to our fandom uh we have hugh grant who was actually at the um who was at the great escape in 2007 when brian mcbride scored to keep uh fulham up when they played at portsmouth in 2007 and uh our very own harry potter daniel radcliffe rachel was actually a home birth in the borough of fulham actually as well so we've got that and now we've got barbie as well so there's been a lot of the home kit is oppenheimer the away kit is uh is barbie and then one fulham fan i actually 
actually saw Rachel made a joke that they were going to get both kits and like cut them up the middle to make the cross jersey or the cross shirts. And then that therein will be the Barbenheimer kit as well. That's a monstrosity. I would not. I'm not doing that. I'm not defiling a Fulham kit by doing that. But hey, it's your money. And if that's how you want to spend it and you're really good at um, at sewing, uh, more power to you. So, Rachel, I need some help. I'm going to get both kits. That is that is decided as well. I have a couple rules that I have when it comes to me getting a kit of a player. I normally, I don't get loan players. I don't get players in their first year with the club. And I don't get a second player shirt twice. Given I normally only get one kit a year or one kit every two years. Like that's few enough to where like the, I got the one Tim Ream kit. I wore it to uh, the first game that I saw at the cottage. He started Fulham 1-1-0 and everything. I don't need another Tim Ream kit as much as we love Tim Ream. Um, or if I do, it will be upon his arrival back to Major League Soccer or it will be a national team kit. But I don't need another number 13 Ream Fulham kit and so there's been a few players that i've had that i've been banding about rachel another rule that i generally like to do as well if i'm watching the game from home i like to wear the shirt of a player who is actually playing in the game so that's where having tim ream anthony robinson alexander mitrovic is really really good i like utility players rachel i like players who are no nonsense work very hard can play multiple positions bobby decadova reed fantastic at that was fantastic in the championship has proven himself in the premier league for fulham as well there's a concagaf connection he's always one of my more favorite reggae boys to play as well him and darren maddox were fun at one point together so there's him i'm naturally a right back as you're aware rachel i now have a new dutch fascination with the trip that i took about uh 14 15 months ago as well i've been learning some dutch offhand as well there's uh, a chance that uh, eventually cole bassett could be going back to fire nord as well so you've got kenny tete right back there's the fun connection you have there where Kenny is actually short for Ken, Rachel. So if we're talking about me getting a Tete shirt for a guy whose first name is technically Ken, being the Barbie Fulham kit, a connection there. My natural position, and then also he's in with the Dutch team. Highlighter orange kits also fits his vibe as well. And then, Rachel, you might remember Harry Wilson, who is a Welsh ringer for... Fulham, uh, who was uh, very good in transition and then also at time-wasting against the United States in the World Cup in the first game against the Welsh. He does that fantastically in the Premier League as well. He's had a whirlwind of a summer, Rachel, where um, he has a girlfriend who is blonde, who he proposed to, and she said yes. So he's now engaged to a another potential Barbie stereotype that you have. And then he came into preseason with the bleach tipped as well. And then he was featured along with Kenny Tete in the marketing uh, launch that they had of the new kid as well. And basically every single person there were like, there were so many comments to that, Rachel, that I've seen on every single social media platform of the, of specifically Harry Wilson of just Harry Wilson wearing the kit and everything. And everybody responding with the, uh, Ken, uh, Ryan Gosling gift. So cool. So Rachel, I am torn. These are my three finalists. These were going to be my three finalists probably anyways for both of the kits as well. Help me narrow it down to two and help me pick Who's Barbie and who's Oppenheimer? Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, this is going to be a bold pick. All right. Okay. All right. Lay it on me. Bobby Decadova Reed is Barbie. Okay. 100%. Um, Matt, you know better than to give me a CONCACAF player and not expect me to pick CONCACAF. So then we've got Kenny Tete and you said Harry, Harry Wilson. Wilson. Harry Wilson. I 
Or do um, I get Ken on the back, Rachel, as if I'm being Ken himself then? I'm going to need to get a blonde girlfriend in the next year so that she can have Barbie on the back, but. I'm going to say just with how how much shuffling happens up front, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Tate. Okay, yeah, because uh, Kenny is going to be, Ken, the Marco Silva loves his fullbacks and he loves running his fullbacks for 90 minutes. You know, Jedi Robinson minimum is going to be 30 starts at 90 minutes and Kenny Tete similar was going to be in that role as well. So, okay. Um, I'm getting the, um, the pink kit and I am a hundred percent getting Robinson because hot take Matt, hot take that I am not getting a Tim Ream one because his contract is up at the end of the season and he will sign with St. Louis and I am getting a St. Louis Tim Ream jersey. Okay. St. Louis, you got to keep the reddish pink. You're not allowed to, you're not like Adidas, we don't care. Like there's got to be, there's got to be crazy stuff. Um, Yeah. St. Louis Thor has to come back and wear something crazy that is city red or city pink. Um, you know, that's that that was part of the launch for them, Rachel, for St. Louis City is like the they intentionally pick something such in the middle between those two colors to force people to debate about what color it actually was to then get more publicity behind it as well. Uh, Fulham chose not to do that. Fulham chose like the pure the pure shock, not, hey, what is this? This is uh, the statement of this is ridiculous, which is, of course, the highlighter pink kit as well. So I'm um, super excited for it. It'll be a couple weeks for me, however, Rachel, because um, I do not um, I wait until the um, primary transfer window or the the first transfer window has closed so that like there isn't one last minute like I get a shirt of a player who ends up leaving the club and it's not until after that as well that they confirm squad numbers as well. I do not want defunct um misprint kits in terms of getting the wrong um the wrong squad number that corresponds with the right player. Speaking of soccer merchandise, however, Rachel, I want to thank our third sponsor for this podcast, Roughneck Scarves. They're an official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, NWSL, and US soccer merchandise. Get your custom scarves for your group, team, office, or even a rec team at roughneckscarves.com. They've got a bunch of straight uh, great stuff up there, Rachel, um, especially given that uh, maybe the US loses this weekend and then all of that US soccer, all that women's national team, women's World Cup uh, stuff goes on sale because they're out of the world cup as well but uh in any case check out all of that at roughneckscarves.com listeners you can follow us on all of the social media platforms at last word sc check us out at last word on sports.com backslash soccer and check us uh at any podcatcher that you prefer just search lws radio or last word on sports you'll find us and a bunch of other great content um listeners thank you for joining us tonight rachel thank you for joining me it was wonderful to catch up again listeners we'll see you when we see you depending on what's going on with uh lease cup and the world cup down under